You may be seated. I have no scripture text. I have no title. Uh, you ever done that, Brother Robertson? Had no title, nothing. I just, I do have a word from the Lord. God has had given to me personally. And I, I want to share it with you. I had a dream. Now, most of my dreams... Is everybody settled? Everybody all right? Most of my dreams come from eating spicy pizza, or reading negative news on the front page of Yahoo, and some of them don't make sense at all. I cannot figure them out. I try to put them together. It's like one of those Twilight Zone movies. But this dream was one of the very few dreams that I had that God has given me in my life that has stirred me. And it was directly from Him. In my dream, I dreamed I was looking down over the sanctuary. I was hovered over the church looking down. And I could see our whole property. And outside the parameters of the property that this building sits on, there was literally mass destruction. Everywhere that I looked, as far as I could see from the north to the south, from the east to the west, it was the most devastating sight that I have ever encountered. It was a war zone. I've never been in battle, but I've seen footage of war. And that's, at, at its worst, that's what I've seen. I've seen bombs and missiles were going off all around the property of the church. Intense fire and smoke filled the air. It was total chaos. The grass and the trees and the houses were turned into ashes. But one thing that I saw that made me happy, the fire that burned and the smoke that filled the air. Not one time did it ever cross the property line of our church. From the front to the back, from the sides, the black smoke never drifted across the boundaries, and even the surrounding grass that had turned brown, the church's grass was bright green. And in my dream, somehow I understood what I was seeing, I knew that it wasn't a physical war. It wasn't in the physical realm, but it was rather, it was a spiritual battle. But out of nowhere, within the flames, I saw droves of people running from the burning fire, running from the smoke. They were running in search of healing, peace, and a place of safety. Safety from destruction of the world. They looked beaten down. They looked frail from what life had done to them. And as I looked out and saw them, they, they was hobbling in, Brother Davis. They were crawling in. And all of a sudden, I went from being on the outside of the church to being up here on the platform exactly right here. 
And as I looked out, there was so many people in this church that the seats could not feel it. They, they were standing room only. And I could barely see through the fog that was blanketed above the sanctuary all the way through. The Holy Ghost was so strong and so powerful that I could barely see the people. But I could see them packed in. I could see them dancing. I saw broken legs being healed. I saw wheelchairs being flung to the sides. I saw walkers being flung to the side. And the dead that were among us were being resurrected. And I, at that time, after I saw that great thing that I saw, I woke up and I began to pray about what God had shown me. He said to me, I will use the devastation of this world to push the ones that I love to a place of safety. He said, I will use the mouths of the wolves to push my sheep to the shepherd. He spoke to me. He said, I'm going to let Satan intensify his works outside the jurisdiction of the property of my sanctuary. So I will drive the people to the kingdom of God. All I can say, McCormick's Creek Church, you better get ready for the greatest revival that we have ever seen. The devastation may blow our families apart outside our church. Broken homes, divorces, sickness, cancer and death. But the devil doesn't realize that God is going to use his devastation to push God's people back to safety. I'm telling you right now that the backslider is on his way back home. The sick is getting ready to find healing. And the deaf is getting ready to be resurrected. God is getting ready in this last day to reveal His church in a greater way than He's ever revealed it before. I love the Baptists and the Nazarene and the Presbyterian and the Catholics and the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons and the Episcopalian and all the others. I love them. But let me tell you something. If you hadn't noticed, if you read the Bible, God's intent for the church in this last day is to be great and a powerful threat to the devil's kingdom. God's not looking for a church that wants to be a social club or a get-together just to have three songs and maybe a ten-minute sermonette from a Christianette. But He is looking for an apostolic church that wants to be on fire. 
My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. There is something in this building and outside the parameters of this place that's being stirred. The devil's mad and he knows how powerful the church is. Hmm. His will for the church was to be like Him. He wasn't a coward. He didn't back down from intimidation. He didn't back down from bad news. He didn't back down from a bleak and and a gloomy day. But he stood when everybody else around him that that he was supposed to love him. That he, he stood. They they cast rocks and stones and, and they done whatever he did they did to him. But he stood. He didn't expect the church to back down either. From the time that he showed up in a manger till the time that he was nailed to the cross in just three and a half years, he displayed a powerful chain of events that changed, changed this world forever. His actions set the example for a future church to follow in the same manner. Although he was hated... His power and His anointing could not be denied, nor it could not be eliminated. Although He was hated. How do you argue with someone that has the ability to change water into wine? How do you fight someone that speaks to a storm and even the winds obey him? How, what do you do with someone that can walk across the raging sea? How do you fight that? How do you dispute when a man spits in the dirt and rubs mud in a man's face and God restores his sight? How do you fight against that? How does one fight against a man that walks into a graveyard and looks at the devil, a devil-possessed man, cast or had 6,000 devils in him? How do you fight against someone that speaks the word and the devil cowards down to him? How do you fight that? How does one deny, deny the power of one that speaks to a dead man called Lazarus and then life enters his decaying corpse and he gets up and worships God? How do you fight against that? And I want you to tell me, how do you fight against the one that you beat? You put a crown of thorns on his head. You mock and laugh at him. And you hang him on a cross. Right bef- and right before he dies, he looks at you and says, I forgive you. I love you. How do you fight somebody with that kind of power? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You can't just ignore someone that you kill and three days later you turn around and he's busted the tomb wide open. How do you fight it? You call them holy rollers and make fun of them. You can laugh at them 
while they say their blessing before they pray in a restaurant. You can laugh at them when they're dancing in the church and running down. But listen, we're the only people on the face of the planet that's got that same resurrection power. You better start believing it. You better start believing it. You won't worry about the devil laughing at you and trying to fight you. He can't fight you. He can't fight against an apostolic church that takes a drug addict out of a home. He cannot fight against the alcoholic when he walks down here and God gives his life back. How do you fight that? You can't. So he done all those things. My God, I'm so ha- excited. I'm skipping all around my notes. I'm going to have to focus. So he leaves. He leaves. After he done all that, they, they did all that. They knew who he was. So what now will his people do when he leaves? What will his people do when he left that mountain and his disciples watched him leave, he had the power. What will you do? What were they going to do when they was left there without his physical presence? And they were standing there filled with empty uh, Thoughts and maybe depressed and and feeling uh, just completely bleak. And they were facing a world full of devils. A world full of storms and sicknesses and dark times. And lonely nights and depression. And a world that is out to destroy them. And out to destroy their family. What will they do? Let me tell you what they did. They followed the voice of Jesus and they took a trip to Jerusalem. And they got together and they made a circle. With great anticipation. And they began to put their minds and their hearts and their spirits together in anticipation for an outpouring of God's Spirit. They all got on one page, in one mind, in one accord, in one place. And the wind started blowing and the fire came. They became the fulfillment of a prophecy that said, Greater things shall ye do. What do you mean, greater things shall you do? You just raised the dead. You just healed a blind man's eyes. You just delivered the leopard. You just walked into a tomb and called out Lazarus' name. And he got up and you're telling me that greater things that I'm going to do? They were the ones that Jesus spoke of when He said, These signs shall follow them that believe in My name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. Come on, 
And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Guess what they did? They went out and set the world on fire. They had revival. When everything was against them, they were being uh, persecuted for the name of Jesus. They were being killed. They were being boiled in oil. They were being beheaded. They were being hung upside down on a cross. But guess what? They still had apostolic revival. I guess what I'm trying to tell you tonight... There's always going to be something in your way and try to trip you up. We talked about it earlier. There's always going to be a problem. There's always going to be a flat tire. There's always going to be a bill that needs to be paid when there's not enough money. There's always a need for a healing. There's always going to be cancer. But guess what? We always have a God and we... power was for back then we 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 the reason and you've heard this the reason why they seen such great miracles was because they they knew Jesus and they seen they seen Jesus and they they, they knew who he was and they, they they slept by his side that was 11 people God has never, ever intended for this church as a whole, apostolic church. It has never been in His intent for the fire that He set on the day of Pentecost to ever go out. It was never God's intentions for us not to see the miraculous. It was never God's intentions for us to have empty pews. We have always, we've got hit the right to have revival just like He did. Greater things shall ye do. What about the loss? What, what about when we lose things? I, I need you two guys. Come up here. Come up here. I want you to come up here. You guys just stand right there and just... There's no hope for him. What do we do, Brother Robertson? When we look out there, I know it's a slick out and there's people not here. What do we do when we've had loss? What about that? What, what do we do when, when people get mad? And Can you preach? <laughs> I'm trying to... What do we do? When so-and-so leaves because he's ticked or she's mad because she didn't get her way, what do we do? Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 20, For where are two or three are gathered together. You count more than two people out there. You count more than three people out there. I'm no mathematician. 
But there's a lot more than three people here. I guess what that means is he must be here right now. And what we have done, Brother Kraus, is we have predicated on whether we're going to have revival, whether our church service is filled. When God says the absence of you or you or you or you or me or anybody else here is irrelevant when it comes to having revival. All I need is two or three. That does, it doesn't matter. You can leave. I don't want you to leave. But you can leave. We're still going to have revival. But he said... Do you know, you ever thought about why he said wherever two or three are gathered or three? What if the third one leaves? Oh, we might as well sit down, Brother Robertson, because the God can't move in our service. Uh, Kraus left, he's ticked off, and, and he's gone. I don't know what we're going to do. Such and such died, and he got sick. We can't have revival. But uh, what is saying? If the third one leaves, I'm still here. Two or three. Or three. If the third one jumps ship from Eldar and we lose them, we're still going to have revival. Do you know why? Because Jesus is still here. That's the most important thing in the world. Two or three, whatever. I'm so sick and tired of worrying about what we don't have and worrying about who's not here and what we've lost in the past. We still got the two and we still got Jesus. And that's all that matters to me. Here, Jesus is still here. Maybe see this. I guess I've. Maybe I've talked about this a few times in the last few months, and it affected me. And I'm guilty from it, and I repented from it. That's why I'm preaching this message right now. Not long ago, there was a lying spirit that tried to fool this church into believing that we were a has-been church. That voice, it tried to silence the praises of his people. That voice attempted to keep us from moving forward. It was a very depressing spirit. There wasn't no devils here. But there was a humanistic spirit that that was a depressive spirit that when you walked in the place. And I'll tell you where it came from. It came from us looking around. And I know nobody likes to talk about this and you can whoop me later. Nobody likes to talk about this. 
when you turn around on a pew and you look on the pews and they're gone. And we look up here and we begin to count and there's a quarter of the church that has gone or left for one reason or the other. Doesn't really make a difference, but they're gone. And Satan used that to make us believe that we were done for. That revival it was just a thing of the past. And it wasn't, it, it, was, it was just, it was, we, we were a has-been. And as you can see, it didn't work. It did not work. But there's so much more than what God has for our church. There is so much more. Beware if you become complacent and happy with what God has done just tonight. But we've got to keep going. We gotta keep seeking. God's gonna do greater things. We we just can't become complacent. We're better than we were three weeks ago. Or last week, tonight we're better. But God's intentions is that we somehow tap into what God has for us. And I believe that the ball is in our court. God has already provided Himself a sacrifice. He has already provided a wheat field or a harvest field that is ready. He said it in His Word that the harvest was plenteous, but the workers were few. And what He was saying was, I've done my part. The planting's done. All you have to do is reap the benefits of my harvest. So, he has taken the ball and he has put it in our hands and he said, I've done my part, now it's up to you. We have been praying, God send us revival. And he has said, you've already got it. You need to use what you've got. But somehow... And I'm 36 years old, Brother Robertson, and I remember laying underneath the third pew in Ziegler, Illinois, on Main Street when Pastor Cecil Sullivan would preach. And I've heard it until I'm sick and tired of hearing it. I've heard it. We're going to have a great revival. We're going to have this, and we're going to have that, and we're going to see this, and we're going to see that. And I believe it. And I'm not tired of preaching it, and I'm not, I, I'm, not, I'm not tired. I'm not tired of it. I'm just not happy with what... We're done. So I believe God has told, talked to me and said, I believe, not he believes, but is truth, that the problem is this, that the church cannot have revival because they feel like they're not worthy. He said, my people have hung 
their head down. And it's so hard for them to accept it because they feel guilty of things in their past and they feel like they are unworthy. He said, I cannot utilize somebody that is down on themselves, that feels incompetent, that feels like they cannot provide their ministry. You cannot preach adequately if you don't feel worthy. You cannot be effective and talk to a Sunday school kid if you do not feel worthy. Oh, you might read a book, a story out of a book, and it may get the job done. But you want to be effective. You need to find your worth in God. And God's people are walking around with their head hung low. And they're saying to themselves, I don't think I can do it today. I don't think I can do it. I, well, I butchered my preaching today. And, or I didn't do good here. And I didn't sing good here. That's exactly the spirit that Moses had when God spoke to him. And I've said it before. He said, Moses, go tell it. He said, I don't feel worthy. And God didn't argue with him. He said, okay, I'll use your brother. And Moses, I know he lost out because he, he did that thing with the rock and all that. And he, he did, but I believe that it didn't start there. I believe that it started because he felt worthless in the first place. I believe if he would have spoke up and said, Okay, God, I'm going to speak to him. I believe that he would have had the power and the ability to do the right thing in the end. And he did not see a pro, uh, get to enter in the promised land. He just got to witness it or see it. And we're standing outside the perimeter. And we're looking in and we're seeing this great revival. Philippines is having it. 92,000 people got the Holy Ghost in three days in a, in a worldwide revival with Billy Cole and Lee Stone King and Jason Sisko and, and all the uh, John Arcovio. I read it. I love it. But we are in the outside looking. there. Those people are humble. But they know that they are worthy because Jesus bought their sins. But here's the thing. There's a parable in the Word of God. The parable is about a woman that had lost her coin. She lost it. She could not find it. The coin was, it stood for what she was worth. And she had lost it. Her value. She lost it. The only way that she found it is she picked up a broom. Because she realized that the place that she occupied, there was too much clutter and junk in her life or in her, the place that she lived, she realized that she would never find her worth if she didn't get rid of some junk. So she began to sweep. And she began to clean out that place of safety. And she threw it out. And then and then only did she find her worth. God 
is speaking tonight. I want to send a revival. But because you feel inadequate and you feel unworthy to do what I called you to do, you cannot do it. And you will never find your worth until you get rid of the garbage and the junk that's cluttering up your life. It doesn't have to be sin. It doesn't have to be meth. It doesn't have to be cigarettes. It doesn't have to be cancer. Or, excuse me, it doesn't have to be uh, uh, cocaine. It doesn't have to be anything. It can be little things. It can be junk. I was studying for this message yesterday. Had a nice fire going. Sitting in my chair. Had my fireplace shut. And it sounded like somebody shot a twenty-two through my house and blew up my fireplace and the window shattered out in a million pieces when God was speaking to me. You're right. Little things. And I jumped up. I was like, what in the world? I thought one of my kids got out a shotgun and shot the fireplace. Tyler Mike. But it's things like being too busy. Guilty. And we mistake just being busy for working for the kingdom of God. And God's saying, I've got it. I want you to take it. But he keeps putting his hands flat and he's keeps putting revival in his hands and he, it, it, and he keeps turning it over and he keeps, it keeps falling off and he's not in the position. I don't know if you know anything about football or not, but you can be the best quarterback in the world. You can hit and that's what Jesus, that's what I picture him. He, he's, he's, like, uh, he's like Brett Favre and uh, Peyton Manning and he's throwing the ball and he hits him in the numbers, but the goofball has buttery fingers and, and he can't catch nothing. And it doesn't matter how many times he passes it to us. If we're not in the position to receive this revival, it's never going to happen. We need to quit blaming God and quit blaming the preacher and quit blaming everybody else and put our hands out and say, God, help me find my worth. Let me understand what's blocking it from getting to me. I want my family saved. I want to see my grandkids How many of you believe and know what I'm telling to be truth? Come on. How many of you know I'm telling the truth? I want you to be real honest with yourself. Don't look around. Don't think about anything else. I want you to look down in your spirit. And I want you to ask yourself and be very honest before you and God. And say, God... I know what is blocking me. I know what's keeping me from going to the next step. I don't know if it's forgiveness. I don't know if whatever it is. But it is damning the Holy Ghost up. And it's blocking from flowing. I want every eye closed. I want you to stand with me tonight. 
This is not very pretty, I know, but God is getting ready to move in here in a mighty way. I don't, we don't need any music right now. Hold on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want every eye closed. I want you to picture that very thing. I want you to begin to sweep it out. Come on, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you just got done speaking in tongues. There's not a, not a one of us that are perfect. There is somebody in this place right now that has been battling a wounded spirit. A wounded spirit. You get your feelings hurt every time someone sneezes. I don't mean that to be funny. There's a few of you. And we, are, we, we have bled through that sore for a long time. And because of that wounded spirit, we have let bitterness seep into our spirit and in our minds. And it's kept us from being the man or woman of God that He wants us to be. We need to let God heal that right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, I want you to call upon the name of the Lord. And I want you to begin to picture what that thing is. And I want you to give it back to Him. I want you to leave it on an altar. I want you to leave it on an altar. And I want you to make up your mind that you're not going to pick it up. You're sweeping it out. You're trying to find the coin. You're trying to find the worth. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Go deep in your spirit and be very honest with yourself. Very honest. Very, very honest. If you feel like you need to come down here and stand and be prayed for if you need to kneel, if you feel like you need just some assistance to get rid of some of this, come now. Come now. Please. Sometimes it's just having someone lay hands on you. It doesn't have to be anything lengthy, but it's just a, a little bit of help to know someone else's faith is joining with yours. And you're able to Release that. Cut those chains away that we were speaking of earlier. Sometimes you have to make some hard choices. You know what creates this problem in your life. You know what you battle every day, and you know it's the same thing, but yet you keep doing the same things. You get around the same people, and you allow your, yourself to be affected. You allow yourself to be influenced by people you don't need to be around. You go back to the same problem, the same, the same gutter, if you would. And you continue to get hit and hurt because you continue to do the same thing. Whatever's necessary for me to be able to 
to, to be the kind of Christian I want to be, to be able to love God the way that I want to, to adore Him the way I want to. And I know that all this baggage is holding me back. I know these chains that I'm carrying around are holding me back. Right here is a time for you to take the spiritual bolt cutters and cut the locks away. If you can't find the key, then just use the bolt cutters. Let's get a little drastic, if you would. Cut some things away. Come on, there's still other people that need to be down here. There's still there's a lot of room right over here. A lot of room on this right-hand side. I still feel like we need some others down here. Some things need to be cut away. You know what you're dealing with. You know how much you're hurting. You know it's been a continual thing. I don't care how many times you've been down here. You need to come down here and deal with this until you get it cut away from you. Till you once and for all lay it down and say, no more. I'm not picking these chains up. I'm not carrying this load any longer. I know God's burden is a part of this, but His burden is light and His yoke is easy. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Did you come? All right. I'm laying this down. We don't need the music. If you must talk, please go out on the vestibule. Thank you for being here. Lord bless you.